Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Man, how we doing guys? Welcome to church, week two of uh, two pop-up locations. If you're enjoying this morning, you can come again tonight. We do have service tonight at five o'clock at the dark room if you want to see the other half of our church. Um, little unique, unique in this moment of how we're doing things, but also gives us the freedom to kind of spread out and uh, be a little more confident, get a little more used to coming back together fully and completely. Um, continue to pray for all those making big decisions in this season around our government. Uh, pray for all those in healthcare. Pray for uh, everyone who's fighting through through um, COVID and other things. There are other things. In fact, uh, pray for Matt and Sarah Schneider's uh, Sarah's mom. Um, who did find a match for her lung transplant, had the surgery, uh, but they, so that's 7 a.m. this morning, got a text from Matt. So there are some, obviously still some things that they don't know yet how her brain did or all, so just keep praying, keep praying, keep praying for her, and she has been fighting for, gosh, about eight months, nine months now, um, very severely. That's why you've not seen them. They've had to be very, very careful about where they are and what they do. So keep praying for them as well. I'm sure there's a lot of other things uh, going on. And uh, I'm, man, I'm just excited to be here. Yesterday we had refresh, uh, back to school outreach. Um, about 3,000 people were given backpacks and school supplies. And normally they do it inside, but because of all that's going on, they had to do it uh, outside, about 102 degrees. Um, it was a little hot. I wasn't there the whole time. This crew was there the entire time. All morning, I was there for a couple hours. Um, but it was w really just an amazing, amazing uh, morning. And you would just, you'd hand off the uh, box of fruit, and then you'd hand off the backpacks, and then you'd give them the school supplies, and they'd smile, and they'd wave. And it was, it was really a blast. And so uh, I know I think we raised just under, I, I think, I don't know that we hit the $700 mark. So if you haven't given towards For the Streets, you still want to support that about $35 for a backpack and supplies, um, so you can still give towards that. I know Meredith and I did that last night, so we'd love for you to for you to jump in and make sure we hit our goal. I don't think we're very short of it, so it'd be great. Hey, if you want to turn in your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, we are in a pattern called healing and forgiveness, healing and forgiveness. Uh, I don't know if you guys uh, enjoy stories. I'm a bit of a movie guy myself, I want to see great stories. If I go into a movie, I have a few different check boxes that have to be hit, um, and uh, they're, they're, they're pretty, pretty strict. Most stories follow a pretty similar uh, trajectory. They all kind of have similar things. In fact, there's a whole marketing strategy now built on this idea that every story relates the same way, that you have to have a person who needs a guide who's encountering a situation. Who, and so there's all these kinds of things. I know marketing, they got you. No matter how hard you try, they will always get you. Uh, uh, my wife doesn't really care how good a story is, or at least she doesn't care, and she's not here, so hi, babe. Uh, I know she's texting me how awesome it's already been online. She's watching online. But uh, she doesn't really care. That's why she watches all the Hallmark movies. Um, and about 37 seconds in, I go, babe, you know what's going to happen, right? Uh, I know, okay, that guy's going to do that, that girl's going to do that. This is all going to end the same way. They're just changing the scenery, right? And some of you are like suckers for it. Like that's just, yeah, okay. Um, now, I, the, you know, to give Meredith some credit, usually she uses them to fall asleep to. 
so it's not like she's sitting on the edge of her seat, like trying to see what's going to happen, but it does disappoint me. And what happens is usually she turns them on right as I take the boys to bed, so that by the time I come back, she's already a few minutes into it, and we can't change it at that point. (laughs) Right? It's not even fair. It's not fair. And uh, and so, uh, but I have to have a good story. Uh, Some of the common complaints I have when a story isn't good is an undeveloped character. Right? You ever, you ever just wonder why in the world that character is doing what they're doing? And that means that they didn't actually tell you who the person was. They didn't give you any insight into their past or even into their present to dictate why they would make the decisions they're making. Right? You ever been frustrated with someone who, why did you go with that person? Or why did you run through that door? Why? Like, what are you doing? What about your childhood made you decide that? Um, sometimes it's unbelievable events. Right, things that you just, you know, whether it be the new Transformer movie, I can't remember the guy's name who directs all the ones that are always unbelievable. Like, what's up? Michael Bay, yeah. He's kind of famous for that. He's kind of famous. Like, his name's kind of unbelievable, right? And so, like, maybe he just goes with it in the movies. Everything he does, it's like, that would not have fallen. The building, if it leans on another building, is going to knock the other building down. It's not going to, like, stay. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Um... It's that undeveloped story and you're kind of, or unbelievable events, and you're kind of going, what is happening? Or maybe, just maybe, it's the unresolved ending. Come on, eight seasons of Lost. Come on. They're like, what is that? That's not a re- and the reason is because they created too many storylines and didn't know how to bring them all back together, and there's no ending here. There's no, and many of us have one of those three things happening in our lives. Many of us have one of those three things going on in our world. We, we either have an undeveloped character. There's something that's happened in our life that has maybe not given us a, a real sense of who we are, why we're doing what we're doing, or uh, people don't understand why we're doing what we're doing. Maybe you've had an interaction with someone who was maybe a little bit rude or a little bit quick, or maybe they just weren't nice, or maybe they just were angry when they saw you, but you don't understand what happened right before they saw you, and then when you find out, you feel bad that you hated them so much, right? You, you have this empathy, you understand, and when we don't know what someone has walked through, we can tend to hold things against them for things that aren't even actually real. My grandfather used to say that we judge people on their actions and ourselves and our intentions, meaning that what we meant to do is not as bad as what, as the, what they actually did. Isn't that, isn't that convenient? I love my grandpa. He was a good one. And, uh, and, and so this undeveloped character, and maybe the un- unbelievable events. Sometimes we just won't give people credit for the things that have hurt them or caused them pain. So we don't want to give them grace for the things that they're doing now. This, this comes up whether it be person to person or whether it be group to group or community to community. We just don't always understand all the different things that are going on, and we, we sometimes don't even care to figure it out. We don't want to hear their story long enough. Well, for some of us, it's that unresolved ending. For some of you right now, you're in the middle of that unresolved ending. You don't know how this is going to turn out. You don't know where this is going to go. You don't know what's going to go on. And in those moments, in those kind of gaps where you're not really sure, there can be these storylines that begin to develop. And, And the reason I'm bringing this up is because we all, 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 all of us are storytellers. Every single one of us. Whether we think we're good ones or not, that's up for debate. But we are all storytellers. Everything that happens in life, we begin to attach a story to. 
we begin to attach this kind of narrative along our life, and it can change from week to week, even day to day. And right now, where everything's kind of in a vacuum, everything happens, you go home, you leave for 10 minutes, you come back home for 27 hours, and you leave for 10 minutes. Everything's happening. It's all right on top of you, and you can begin to create these storylines. Why isn't that person contacting? Why isn't this person doing? Why isn't that going? Why isn't We can begin to create these kind of really significant storylines out of moments that maybe weren't as big as we thought, or maybe when we step back from them, we realize. And there's actually this thing now in, in therapy where they talk about narrative therapy. What is the narrative that you're telling yourself about yourself? My dad always says that your identity comes out of the story that you tell yourself about yourself. The story you tell yourself about yourself. In fact, the, the, as I was reading into this narrative therapy, this narrative thing, it was uh, one wrote this. It says, an individual's life story is not an exhaustive history of everything that has happened. Have you ever thought about all the things you've forgotten? I always think about I'm 39 years old, and I look back and I go, I remember like seven weeks of it. Like, if you were really to piece it together and how many minutes I actually remember, it might hit like 12 weeks. I don't know. Memory's not a strong suit of mine. You know this if you hang out with me and my brother for very long. He will retell a story that I have no recollection of, and he will tell you what I did, how I was feeling, and how it resolved. All it's, and I'm going, Bryce, I don't remember that. In fact, it happened the other night. It was my mom's birthday this week. Happy birthday, mom. And... Uh, and, uh, and he tells a story about how we used to climb out of our second-story window and hung out on the roof. And my mom goes, Brandon, do you remember that? And I said, no. And they all thought I was joking, like you're just trying not to get in trouble. And I, I honestly don't remember. I don't know if that happened or not. But if we keep reading, we find out why. Rather, we make what McAdams calls narrative choices. Our stories tend to focus on the most extraordinary events, good and bad. Because those are the experiences we need to make sense of and that shape us. But our interpretations may differ. For one person, for example, a childhood experience like learning how to swim by being thrown into the water by a parent might explain their sense of uh, himself today as a hardy entrepreneur who learns by taking risks. For another, that experience might explain why he hates boats and does not trust authority figures. And a third might leave that experience out of their story altogether, deeming it unimportant. See, the interesting thing is our interpretation of a moment usually begins to shape our identification in that moment. The way we interpret a certain set of events can begin to give us a certain identity. It can begin to shape the narrative. And when we end up with an undeveloped character or unbelievable events or even unresolved endings, we're not really sure who we are in those moments or we double down on the story we have been telling ourselves for a very long time. And that's one of the challenges. You get a script, you read it enough times that no matter what you do, every time that situation comes up, guess what? You say the same line. You say the same line. Every time the moment comes, what do you say? You say the same line. And in fact, sometimes what we begin to do is we begin to say that our problems are our person. So instead of saying, I'm dealing with depression, you say, I am depressed. We begin to make our identification, our interpretation of a particular thing. That's why it's so important for us as people to understand that God gave us this incredible thing called our mind. That he tells us in Romans 12 to begin to renew. 
shape, to meditate on Scripture. Why? Because he's trying to give us a truer sense of who we are. The story we tell ourselves. Another professor wrote this. Professor McAdams describes narrative identity as an internalized story you create about yourself, your own personal myth. Like myths, our narrative identity contains heroes and villains that help us, hold, help us or hold us back. And what you're finding now more and more is that we've become a culture of good people and bad people. Not people who are also good and bad, but good people and bad people. So now we look at any comment or any situation or any circumstance and we put the person in the category of bad and I'm good rather than understanding I'm good and bad and you're good and bad. And we need to look for the good in all of us. Now what you're seeing in culture right now in so many cases is this separating between good and bad and everyone obviously believes they're the good ones. Like myths, our narratives have... Uh, heroes and villains that help us or hold us back, major events that determine the plot, challenges that overcome, sufferings we have endured. When we want people to understand us, we share our story, or at least parts of it with them. When we want to know what, who another person is, we ask them to share part of their story. So I wanted to quickly, that was my setup, I want to quickly tell you a story, because I know right now you're starting to realize, oh, I do tell myself a story. I'm hoping by the end of this, you have picked one story. I'm not asking you to go today or, or, you know, take a week off and go hibernate somewhere and really reevaluate all the things you've forgotten, um, all the things you've deemed inappropriate or not worthy of your time. But I am going to ask you that by the end of today that you've, that you've picked out a couple moments and they don't have to be bad. See, sometimes we immediately hear this and we go, oh yeah, okay, all the negative things. I'm going to go adjust all the negative things. Well, those things can shape us pretty drastically. Maybe what we need to do is actually go search for the amazing, the beautiful, the, 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 the created things, the things that are gorgeous, the things that are grace-filled, the things that are life-giving, and allow those to become a bigger part of our story. Luke 19, the famous story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Wee little man was he. And I forgot the rest of the words. All right, so here we go. Some of you who didn't grow up in church, you're welcome. Luke 19, verse 1 says, He entered Jericho, this being Jesus, and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Usually those went hand in hand, unless they just weren't good at their job. He was trying to see who Jesus was. Isn't that what we're trying to do as people? Sometimes we think our stature or our background or who we are doesn't allow us to do that. Uh, but this story says otherwise. I think there's a lot of people right now who are just trying to see who Jesus is in this moment. Who is this Jesus? And all of us who go to church and all of us who read the Bible have been a little too quiet about who Jesus is. We get caught up in the moment. We get caught up in the controversy. What we need to do is continue to put Jesus in front of people. Because what matters right now is not whether you're in a crowd with masks or no mask and don't even, I don't need emails. I don't, you don't even know my email, so it's fine. Um, but what I'm, what I'm saying is, that in, the, in the end, what it is is about who is Jesus, where is he in all of this? If we really want to be kingdom people, then we've got to make sure the kingdom is in front of us. And in front of others. And he's just trying to figure out who Jesus was. But he was not able to because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree. The sycamore tree was, oh, I can't remember the words. Doggone it. Stop it. Don't sing it. I do not want it in my head all day. <laughs> since he was about to pass that way, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. Jesus loves to make a point. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. See that? Good people 
bad people. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. There's something that happens here. This was not Zacchaeus before the sycamore tree. This is, this is Zacchaeus after coming off the sycamore tree and beholding Jesus. He says, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus said. Because he too is a son of Abraham. So he doesn't qualify it. Some of us go, oh, so if, as long as we do good things. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you are a son of Abraham. Whether people will recognize it in you or not, I do. I recognize it. And you just had a moment where you began to realize it. And in that moment, you became, you are, you have been, and you will be the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. See, depending on who you were, you would have seen that story a little bit differently. Depending on who you were, you would have decided who the hero was, who the villain was, what the main character plot was, the sycamore tree was the main setting. And, and what's amazing about the gospel writers and what's amazing about Jesus, he tends to check all the boxes, right? That's a short story, but it does all the stuff. We kind of understand Zacchaeus is short, he's a tax collector, so he's already like unfavorable. He doesn't, people don't like him so much, they look down on him, all those kinds of things, right? He has a desire to see something new, he has a problem, he needs a guide, Jesus is the guide, that's who we are as a church. We're not always the hero. We're pointing people to Jesus. Jesus is the hero, right? So we're, okay, so we're pointing him to Jesus, and he, he sees Jesus, and when he comes into contact with Jesus in his own home, here's Jesus. He was the bad person. He was the one nobody would associate with. He was the one that nobody could be with. And here's Jesus in his house. What changes? What shifts? What's going on with the story? Because his narrative had been, He's the bad guy. He's the tax collector. He's extorting us. He's taking all of our money. He's doing everything wrong. Why is Jesus spending time with him? And we see stories like this all over. I mean, even Jesus, one of, greatest, one of his greatest illustrations, one of his greatest parables is what? The lost son. You guys are like, well, there's a lot. I don't know which one you want. Uh, the lost son, right? Jesus is illustrating what the father does. He sees the lost son, and the lost son comes home, and what does he do? He runs to him, which was, was not supposed to happen. The father's supposed to stand studious and waiting, and no, you come to me because you're the one who screwed up. No, no, no. He went to the son, brought him back through a party, and what happens? The older brother goes, how dare you throw a party for the one who took and wasted all your wealth? And he goes, no, no, you've been enjoying my wealth the entire time. You just forgot. Now I'm throwing a party for one who hasn't. And in all cases, you both still live under my roof. You're both still my family. It's amazing how you can see things from different perspectives. And in this case, you see it from a different crowd. The crowd doesn't like what's happening. Zacchaeus, of course, does. And something happens for Zacchaeus. Are you guys with me? Y'all being a little quiet today. Something happens for Zacchaeus. Maybe it's the mask. How many of you guys, I had, like the singing, I was like getting exhausted. Like I was running a marathon just trying to... Sing the songs today. What an awesome worship team, by the way. What an incredible stuff they're doing. I, I really would commend all the guys in production, ladies in production, the, the worship team. They're getting here early, setting up new equipment, new stuff, doing new things. It's pretty amazing. I love it. They deserve a shout-out. And a little round of applause, maybe. That would be good. Um, but something happens for Zacchaeus. Something happens that shifts things. One commentary kind of speaks to this idea that uh, for some of us, we tend to live our whole life looking, at, looking into carnival mirrors. We tend to live our whole life looking into a mirror, and certain parts of us are uh, thwarted. They're, they're like 
bigger, smaller. They're just kind of this weird image of who we are. I remember I went to a fair with Kaysen, and he just had a blast looking in the mirror that made his head look like Flintstone. I don't remember the movie, but uh, his, his head was like 14 inches taller than it actually was. And, uh, and sometimes that's how we live our life. According to whatever narrative or story we've lived in, we tend to look in the carnival mirrors and we allow that to define who we are. We allow that to be the thing that begins to shape our story. And so if that's the only mirror we look into and then we live our life according to what is in that mirror, then my guess is that you're going to duck under doors you don't need to. You think your head's 15 inches taller than it is. You're going to turn sideways. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna do all these things to what? Romans 12, conform instead of be transformed. See, what happens for Zacchaeus is he looks in front of Jesus, and to behold something is to become something. And when he looks at Jesus, something shifts. He gets a new mirror that begins to tell him a different story. What the world needs, what you and I need, is a different story, a different mirror. 2 Corinthians 3 says it like this. Since then, we have such a hope. We act with great boldness. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily into the end of the glory of what was being set aside. That's a reference to Exodus when he would come off the mountain and, and his face would be shining or he'd come out of the tabernacle and he'd been spending time with Jesus. Verse 14, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. What does that mean? It means for many of us, the story is finally being told. For a lot of us, we come to Jesus trying to put on a face. We come to Jesus according to the mirror that we looked in last. And Jesus is going, you're not coming here to try to get me to interpret what you think you are. I I want you to come here so that I can interpret for you who you are. So that I can tell you the story of who you are. So that I can put you in the story. I'm reminded right now of Lynn Sweet telling the the illustration of the Israelite people, even to this day, uh, the Israelite people will get together, Jewish people will get together every single week, and the family will sit at the same table, not the kids' table, that's the American version. The kids' table, just talk about whatever, the parents are going to have their time. But in, in Jewish tradition, at least once a week, you would sit down, the whole family at the table, and the, the father would sit at one end, and he would begin to open the scripture, and he'd begin to read the story of the Jewish people. And why is he doing that? Because by the time that young person turns 13, he's heard the story, she's heard the story countless numbers of times, how God saved them, how God showed up, how God took them through the Red Sea, how God set them free from uh, uh, Egypt, how God did all the things. And he's showing them the story so that when they turn 13, they're walking into a story, not trying to discover it. Lynn Sweet said it like this, that many Jewish people walk out of the house at 13 or 18 and say, I already know who I am. I'm going to go accomplish something. Most of Western tradition walks out of their house at 18 going, I hope I can figure out what story I'm going to live in. So what's happening here is this veil's being removed, and will we be willing enough to put the story in front of Jesus? And whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from what? The carnival mirror. Freedom from what? The thing you thought distorted you and made you unworthy. He is renewing and and redeeming, and he is transforming your life into something new. We all, with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed. Some translations will say progressively 
transformed. You got to stay looking in the mirror. You got to keep looking at the right story. You got to keep telling yourself the right narrative. You got to keep putting the word of God into the story you tell yourself about yourself. Transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the spirit. Some would say that to to, to unveil their face is to disclose the character. Remember that undeveloped character part? To, to disclose who you are so that God can begin to work. See, the beauty of the gospel is not come all set out, all sorted, all ready to go. No, come unveiled face. Look upon the Lord, and whatever you've got, he will shine it off of you. He will make sure that that thing is beginning to be renewed day by day by day. Come on, somebody need to say amen like Amanda said and agree with what God's saying to you. One uh, psychiatrist going back to narrative therapy said, when someone tells me that's just who I am, I know what they're really saying to me is, this is the story I've chosen to take on. When someone says to me, this is just who I am, I know what they're really saying to me is, this is the story I've chosen to take on. Paul David Tripp wrote one of my favorite books called Awe. And wonder, it's talking about the wonder of God. And really, the whole book basically explains every situation under this premise. We just don't awe at the Lord anymore. We don't have wonder about how big and good he really is. He says, we look for identity horizontally. When I, when I was hardwired by God to get it vertically. In other words, I look for something in creation to define who I am. I look for a created thing to define me as a created person instead of looking at the one who held me in his hands, breathed life into my lungs, and said, this is who you are. Remember, the interpretation becomes our identification. What story have you been telling yourself? What moments have you given greater credence to than the moments God is trying to redeem you for? What, what, what moments, what, what events, what unbelievable events that if you were to look at a friend if you were to tell a friend, you wouldn't know what happened to me when I was seven with my uncle. You wouldn't know what happened to me with it. You wouldn't, you don't know what happened to me with my ex-spouse. You don't, you just don't know. It's unbelievable. It's things that we tend to in this culture, you pull into your house, you close the garage, that's it. You don't, t- you don't talk to nobody. This is our castle instead of our community. And we tend to carry these things, these shame and this guilt. And sometimes the forgiveness we have is not for the sin we've committed, but for the sin that's been committed against us. For the things that have come our way that we didn't deserve, they're not validated. God isn't looking at them going, well, yeah, yeah, you probably needed to do something better. You shouldn't have run through that door. That didn't make any sense. No, no, no. Sometimes there's a story that has taken hold of our life, and we've created heroes and villains, and we've created storylines, and we've created plots, and we've created these things in our life. And what I'm going to ask you to do is do this this week. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to become the audience. A lot of times what we'll do is we will be the one that reads the lines. We'll be the one that sets the setting. We'll be the one that sets the kit. We'll do all that stuff, but we'll rarely take a step back and sit in the audience's seat. We'll rarely take a moment and look at the stories we're telling ourselves. And the worship team can come on up. But we we rarely step back and look at what's actually happening here. What part of the character is undeveloped? What part of the ending is unresolved? What kind of events that are unbelievable that they're so unbelievable, I won't tell anybody about them because I'm still carrying hurt and pain and shame and guilt. That's not even mine to carry. 
It's not even mine to, I didn't create this situation. I didn't make this thing happen. I'm carrying it though, and it's creating a story that I'm living in. So I'm going to give you four things to do this week, and I'm not usually a four-point thing, so bonus for you today. I want you to do four things. They all start with I because I'm a preacher. Sometimes we can't change the event, but we can change how we experience the event. Sometimes it's about taking a step back, becoming the audience, and maybe seeing how this happened. I, I remember listening to my dad even on a podcast recently talking about his, his dad, my grandfather, and talking about how good he was, but also talking about as he, they had had discussions as he had gotten older about different things that missed out on and, and different things, and, and, and then remembering that my grandfather had some issues with his dad and and just remembering, like, sometimes when in our life, we rarely give empathy. And so what we do is we put this, the harshest interpretation of an event as we possibly can. We, we, don't, we don't look at someone and go, well, maybe, just maybe. I mean, how many, have you ever hurt somebody and you didn't mean to? I can't tell you how many, probably seven times a week I do it to my son. I elbow my seven-year-old in the head all the time. He's just right there. And he's like my dog. He never leaves behind me, and I always end up giving him an elbow, and I'm like, oh, sorry, buddy, I didn't mean to, and that's the truth. The truth is I didn't mean to, and sometimes we don't understand that broken people break people. Sometimes we hurt people, and sometimes people hurt us, and I know it's not easy to just go, yeah, you didn't mean to. I understand that. I'm not trying to get you to just excuse all things, and, but I am trying to get you to a place where we can heal because we forgive, and with unveiled faces, we look into a new mirror where he begins to redefine our shape, begins to redefine who we are so that we're not conforming every day. Here's four things. Number one, invest the time. I want you to take some time this week. And I don't want you to try to relive your whole life. That, and maybe that's you, and maybe you're going to get on a rabbit trail. You're just going to be there all week. Uh, but maybe there's some moments in your life that you need to go back to. And not to, this is what I don't want to do. Sometimes what we can do when we go back to a moment is we can stay in a moment. So I want you to be really clear about this. And this may mean that you need to get a friend around you or you need a, a spouse or, or a, whoever, a mentor who is able to help you stay, get act, back out of the moment when you go back into it, okay? So if you, if, if for some of you, some of these moments, there's some of you that right now, the moment's clear. There's the event that you already know you need to go back to that has shaped some of the things that you're walking through today. Some of your faults, some of them not. We're not a place of condemnation because the Bible says we're not. So don't get all beat up. Don't, don't, don't do that. But I want you to invest the time. And I want you to do this. When you invest the time, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit. So number one, invest the time. And I want you to invite the Holy Spirit. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to be your God. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to bring things to mind. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to, to make sure that he's with you, in step with you. And just wait upon him. And then I want you to investigate the story. I would ask the Holy Spirit, hey, what is the thing? What's the place? What's the moment? What's the story? investigate that moment, investigate that story of your life. And then I want you to identify the event in all of it. I want you to identify the event in that story. What, what's going on that has begun to shape and shift? And here's why I want you to do that. I want you to pick that event. And again, like I said, I, I don't want you to spend 12 hours in a, an event that causes you a lot of pain. And yet what the church has not always done well, or at least as of late, uh, in history it has, uh, but as of late, what we've not always done well is to allow people to deal with the things that are difficult. We've not allowed for lament. We've not allowed for challenge. Uh, we've, we've expected you to walk in those doors, put a smile on your face, and act like all things are good. But even as we sang today, even in my weeping and in my rejoicing, you are for me. You are for me. 
confession of our mouth, confession of our hearts. I want you to take the time to identify that event. I want you, maybe you can't change the event, but maybe you can, the power of the Holy Spirit, the redemptive story of Christ, begin to change how you experience that event. Maybe you'll watch as there's freedom begins to happen. I even know some of you guys in this place right now that have worked through that over the last few years. You've had an event that could have spun you out. You could have ended up somewhere very different at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. But you're here. Because somehow you got in front of the right mirror. You got in front of the right place that gave you the right story. And it began to develop your character. It began to give you believable confessions and events. And begin to resolve some things in your spirit. So I want you to just take a moment right now. I want you to bow your heads. And I'm just going to pray over you. Pray with you. God, I thank you for every person. God, I thank you. There, there is no event, no circumstance, no painful memory, no offensive word, no lie that has been spoken that is greater than your grace, that lasts longer than your love. But God, you in your perfect grace, in your unrelenting love, in your undeserved, unconditional grace and love for us, you are ready to put us in front of a new mirror where we would find freedom we find hope some of us the freedom we need is not circumstantial it is it is primarily purely what is happening on the inside of us and while i'm not necessarily saying the journey will be easy what i also know though is the journey will not be done alone and so today today here's what i'm asking you to do i'm just going to ask you to confess it and I'm going to ask you to confess it by, in just about 10 seconds, asking you to raise your hand. I'm not saying that this is going to complete the story, but for some of you, the raising of your hand is just going to take the thing off your life. But for some of you, it's just a commitment. It's just you saying, I'm walking this journey with Jesus. Don't for a second think you're too short or you've, uh, or you've taken too much money like Zacchaeus. It, uh, today's your sycamore tree moment. Today is the moment you get up front and Jesus says, oh, yeah, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your house. I want to celebrate in your house. I want to rejoice with you in your house. I want to set you free in your house. I want to give you freedom in your house. I'm coming to your place right now. That's you this morning. You say, I need a new mirror. I need a new storyline. I need a new narrative. I need something that shifts and changes. I don't, I don't live according to the wrong thing. And I'm not going to just go, yeah, that's just who I am. Because I'm not choosing that story anymore. I'm going to choose the story Jesus has for me. The story God created for me. I'm going to choose the story the Holy Spirit is going to guide me through. If that's you this morning, would you just right now, would you just raise your hand? It's just our confession. We're going to live in that. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. It might be really bold for some of you. It might be like, wow, well, man, that might be nice to admit to something or walk through something. Just raise your hand real quick if you didn't already. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And come on. I believe God's going to give you a new reflection. Glory to glory to glory to glory. Brighter brighter and brighter progressively. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to sing. When we sing this, I want you to do what we did before. I want this song to be a prayer. I want this song to be a prayer. I want you to let it be a confession of your lips, confession of your heart. God, I thank you that every person raised their hand. You're setting. Right now, you're putting a new, new mirror in front of them. And every time they come and say, yeah, but, you're going to go, did you look in the mirror? Yeah, but I didn't. Yeah, but look in the mirror. But I did this thing, yeah, but look in the mirror. But you don't know what they did, yeah, but look in the mirror. 
Gabby, you don't know what I've lived according to for so long. I understand, but look in the mirror because I'm setting you free. You're walking in newness of life. There is no pain that someone else gave you that you have to hold on to. There is no offense that someone put in your lap that you have to keep there. There is nothing, nothing that is greater than the grace of God. For there, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has given you a purpose and a hope. He's given you love and a fullness of freedom. He has said to you that your mind can be made right, your heart can be made full, and you can live this thing out in a different way because from glory to glory to glory to glory, I'm transforming who you are. Just stay here with me. Keep your eyes on me. Don't stop looking at the mirror of whose image you were created in, in Jesus' name.